Hey everyone, I'd like to welcome you to Professional Oklahoma Educators Bite-Sized Learning Podcast, where bite-sized changes can have a big impact in the classroom. This is Season 2, Episode 2. I'm Jason Bings, the host of this podcast. It's here, whether we're ready for it or not. School is starting. This year promises to be a year like no other. We don't know what to expect as the year progresses. We don't know if we'll be teaching virtually most of the year, in person, or alternating back and forth throughout the year in some form. So as districts are making decisions based on the current data, we as teachers need to continue to make decisions about our classrooms and what we're going to expect from our students. So how can you set up your classroom expectations so your students experience the absolute best year possible no matter how you have to provide instruction. What we've put together is a list of techniques that you can apply to the traditional and the virtual model of instruction as long as it's synchronous. If it's asynchronous, it's going to take some other techniques and we're going to cover those probably in another episode. So these are techniques that you can employ in your instructional practices that will help you have more engaging lessons. These techniques will help you indicate the importance of the information that you're sharing and remove some of the excuses for your students not remaining engaged in the learning process. All right, so the first technique is called no opt out. Many students will use I don't know as a means of getting out of work. So when you ask them a question, they're gonna respond with I don't know even if they might know some form or some part of the answer. So if you can eliminate this as an option, it lets students know that you expect more out of them. One way to do this is to quickly turn to another student for the answer and then come back and have the original student answer the question. So if I ask student A a question, student A says, I don't know, I'm going to turn to student B and ask the question, When they give the correct answer, I'm going to turn back to student A and ask them the question again. So their excuse of I don't know no longer applies and they've been forced to give the correct answer. So using this, the student actually hears themselves answer correctly along with hearing somebody else answer correctly. Now you can employ a similar technique uh, called phone a friend. So you ask a question And just like in the game show, they can call on somebody else to help them out with the answer. So what this technique does is allow the student to seek help, but ultimately they have to be the person that's giving the correct answer. So in practice, they do get to get help, but they're still hearing themselves give the correct answer or to stick with the game show theme, they're giving their final answer. Technique number two, is called right is right. When you respond to answers in class, you need to wait for the answer that's completely correct or that meets your standards of rigor. Don't finish the thought for the student. Instead, you need to ask the student to give you more information. So if they've just given you a partial answer, dig a little deeper, ask them to elaborate a little bit more, ask them to process it or tell you why or go into more depth on on their response. It's worth your time to wait for them because doing so is going to save you time in the long run. 
if they just give a partial answer and then you finish the answer later on in the year when you're reviewing concepts, they haven't truly learned it more than likely. And so you're going to have to go back and reteach that. So if you will take the time to wait for them to give you the complete correct answer, you're going to be much better off. We're often in such a hurry to move on to the next topic that as soon as we hear something close, we move on or we finish their thought for them. And we truly can't afford to do that. When we do, like I said before, we have to reteach more of the content since we didn't get an accurate assessment of what they were learning or what they knew. We don't want to be like Ben Stein's character in Ferris Bueller's Day Off who spends the entire lecture answering his own questions and he never waits for his students to respond. So if you were to, to gauge how well his students were learning, it would be way down on the scale. And in fact, I would almost guarantee that none of the students were learning in that classroom. And the few that were probably had an interest in the topic already and were learning on their own. All right, so technique number one was no opt-out. Don't allow I don't knows. Technique number two is right is right. Wait for the correct answer, the complete correct answer. Technique number three is called stretch it. So with this technique, when a student answers correctly, you reward the student by giving them a more challenging question. When they answer correctly, you're not through teaching. You need to follow up with more challenging questions or use how or why questions with those correct responses to increase the reliability of their answers. They may have just guessed or they may have known the correct answer already. You don't really know for sure though. So if you ask those challenging questions or those why questions, you're gonna get a more accurate picture of what they truly know or understand. We want to move beyond them just being able to regurgitate answers and so if we stretch their learning by challenging them with with more difficult questions or more um, depth of knowledge type questions we're going to get more genuine learning in the process. Alright so technique number three is called don't tell. If you ask the question students need to be the ones answering. Let them struggle with it a little bit. Don't let them get to the point of frustration, but it's fine to let them ponder the question for a little bit. It's safe to lead them just a little, but don't do the work for them. Ask them to elaborate on partial answers in order to get to the correct answer. So part of learning is not knowing and then finding the answers or struggling just a little bit and, and coming to grasp with the concepts. So what we have a tendency to do is tell our students, sometimes without even saying anything, if they've answered correctly. And so sometimes if you can keep those tells to yourself where you're not letting them know if they're correct or incorrect yet, you're just letting them complete their thoughts you're going to get a better picture of what they know and what they understand. And we end up learning more in the process when we have to work for, for what we're learning, when we have to teach others, or if we have some emotional connection to the learning. So if there's a little bit of a struggle involved, 
there's emotion tied to it. And if you don't give them time to process the question and search for the answer, they'll never struggle to fully internalize what you're teaching them and, and they're not going to engage with the learning process very well at all. So in the end, you're gonna come back and, and have to reteach that concept again. So when you ask a question, you don't need to be answering your own questions. The students need to be the ones answering questions. So refer back to my example from Ben Stein's character. You don't want to be the one answering your own questions. Don't tell the answer to the questions and don't give away the answers with your actions, with your body language or anything like that because you want to keep everybody engaged and you don't want other learners in the room to shut down because they think somebody else has answered correctly already and they don't need to worry about it anymore. So those are four techniques that you can use during your classroom instructions that will help keep your students more engaged. So these techniques are gonna make your lessons more engaging in a face-to-face -face and in a virtual lesson or environment. If you use these, they're going to help minimize some of the disruptions in your classroom as well. Now as teachers, we have days where it seems as though no matter what we do, students are off task or they're misbehaving. Some of us have more of those days than others. But what's the difference between the teacher that always seems to have control issues and the teacher that always seems to have things under control? Both teachers can have the same management plan they can have the same set of standards, the same assessments, and the same materials. It could be that these two teachers have the same set of students, and in one classroom, they respond one way, and in the other teacher's classroom, they can be disruptive and unruly. So why do we see such stark differences between these two teachers? Well, I can tell you it's not the content, it's not the students. Bottom line, it's the teacher and the techniques that he or she uses in the classroom. The techniques that I mentioned earlier are just a few of those used by some of the most effective teachers. You as the teacher are the single most important factor in the learning process. The techniques you use, the practices you avoid, the content you convey are all vital to learning. If you're not involved in the process, the majority of your students are not going to be successful either. So we know the techniques that can help you be more effective. We mentioned a few of them earlier, but what techniques or what behaviors do we see in teachers that can be detrimental to them in the classroom? Well, I've got four of those as well. And so number one is free time. Now this sounds like a great idea. Uh, you finished up, there's a little bit of time left and you've got five, 10 minutes before the bell rings. Why not give the students a little bit of time to relax? During those few minutes left in class, uh, you've already covered all the information. So the students have earned a reward, right? The problem with letting them relax or talk for a few minutes is that when students have this downtime or this unstructured time, that's when they're more likely to engage in disruptive behavior. So in order to prevent this, always have some sort of activity or some sort of learning, um, learning questions or review questions, something that you have at hand that you can use to keep your students engaged in learning. 
Uh, this could be review questions. This could be an exit ticket activity of some sort that you use at the end of class. But you need to make this part of your lesson plans or you need to have some stuff on hand and ready to go because it might be that on Monday, your first hour class finishes early and none of the other classes do. But on Tuesday, your third and fifth hour classes finish early, but none of the others do. And so if you have these activities or questions or, or challenges ready ahead of time that you can grab at a moment's notice, you're going to be much better off. So the way I would do this, I would make this a part of my lesson planning process. So as I go throughout the week, I'm going to jot down questions for each lesson that I've covered. And I'm going to put them on an index card or in the notes in my phone or, or somewhere where I can get to them quickly. So if I put them on an index card, I'm going to keep them at my desk in the top drawer so I can grab them right at the end of class or do something like that. And so when we get to that point where we've got five minutes left, I'm going to continue the learning process. So I'm going to pull out those questions and I'm going to ask them as a review of some sort. Now, I don't have to just use them then. I can use those same questions when I've got students waiting in line in the lunchroom or if they're waiting in line at the restroom or to come in class or, or any time that we've got what would be traditional downtime, we can use those questions or even in a math class, use math facts or, or whatever you want to to continue that learning process. But just remember, we want to eliminate that free time and we want to make sure that we don't waste any time during the day for learning. We want to take advantage of every moment we have. All right, so number one was free time. That's one of the, one of the problems that we run into in the classroom. Number two is busy work. This is one of the quickest ways to lose your students. If they don't see the value in what you're assigning them, they're not going to stay engaged. You may have some that are going to be compliant and they'll complete whatever you assign them, but they will not be engaged. Completing the work does not mean that they're engaged in the learning process. If you want to keep your students engaged, make sure the work and the questions you have them doing are meaningful and relatable. They have to be able to tie it to their lives in some way. They have to see the value in what you're doing. Number three, worksheets. These are the close cousins of busy work. And even in a totally digital environment, you can still assign worksheets. Don't give in to that temptation. Now there may be some quality material and information that went into the creation of that worksheet, but generally speaking, a worksheet is not an engaging activity. It is very closely related to busy work. Number four is homework. I know as soon as I said that, that some of you were immediately offended. It's a contentious topic, but if you look at Hattie's work, homework has very little impact on meaningful learning. So if you're going to use homework, make sure first that it's meaningful. Make sure that it accomplishes the goals that you've got established in your classroom. Too many times homework is a worksheet or busy work that does nothing more than cause students and families frustration. They get frustrated 
because parents are often unable to assist the student in the learning process and they don't understand the need for the assignment. Not only that, but some brain research indicates that if a skill is practiced incorrectly and that skill passes into long-term memory, it takes doing it correctly seven times for every time that it was done incorrectly. So if you do 50 math problems and they do all of them incorrectly, just following that pattern that was given, it would take 350 times doing it the correct way to get it locked in to the brain and into long-term memory the right way. Now that's an extreme example, um, but it kind of illustrates the point that I'm trying to make. Now I'm not telling you to never assign homework, but when you do assign homework, make sure it's meaningful, make sure it reinforces the correct procedures and not the incorrect procedures. All right, so to sum up what you can do to make your lessons more engaging, I would say it would be to employ the no opt out, the right is right, the stretch it, and the don't tell techniques that I mentioned earlier as part of your lessons and your discussions, while at the same time limiting the free time, the busy work, the worksheets, and the homework. Now, are these guarantees that all students will learn and be successful in your classroom? No. But if practiced and understood well, they can greatly increase the likelihood that your students will succeed. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode. Please share and comment to let us know how we can help you and others. You can leave your comments in your podcatcher of choice, but if you want to guarantee that we get them in a timely manner, go to bit.ly bit.ly slash bite-sized pod and complete the form. If you would like to schedule a professional learning session for your school or an online meeting, you can send an email to pl at apoe.org. If you'd like more information about professional Oklahoma educators, check out our website, www.apoe.org. You can find the links to this podcast and blog under the resources tab or by going to poebitesizedlearning.blogspot.com. POE can also be found on Facebook at apoe.org and on Twitter at prof.okla.edu.